0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Unstoppable, the world's number one podcast when it comes to peak performance, as according to my mum. And today we are talking with Lita Lewis. Lita Lewis is renowned for being the face behind the thick movement, which fights to break the American ideals of beauty. Her fans turn to her for support when going through all of life's challenges. And with her 500,000 followers on Instagram, she clearly is on to something. We're going to be talking to her about her stories, her makeup, her breakups, and how she got to where she is today with the thick movement and being a speaker and a motivational life coach and hosting the Freedom Retreat. This is an incredible story of a young girl who has taken a corporate job, thrown it in and created an incredible little business. All women out there who want to learn how to do the same, you will want to listen to this. Check it out and listen up. So ladies and gentlemen, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome... Unstoppable, it's almost like you should be Lisa Unstoppable Lewis. Thank Th- you well, for being. Thank you. That's good. It could be your I'll catch right yeah. now. <laughs> thank you for coming in.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's a real pleasure, a real honor. You have really blown up on the social scene. You're doing your Instagram is going fantastic, by the way. Your Instagram looks thank hot you. like it is smoking on fire. <laughs> but for those people who don't know, uh, perhaps, uh, who Lita Lewis is, give us like the 15 second elevator. Speech of, uh, yeah, who is Lita Lewis?
1: Uh, Lita Lewis is a kid that grew up in Sydney, Australia.
0: I love this. I'm from Sydney.
1: I, I Well, yeah, <laughs> I heard. Um, and uh, had itchy feet to want to see the world. Decided to move to New York City uh, when I was 23 so I could be centrally located, so I could travel Europe, travel the states, the islands, um, and found myself loving it. I stayed there, worked corporate America, got burnt out completely, um, and then decided to pursue something that I love. And then I've just turned it into a career.
0: Yeah, well done. Yeah, it's almost like the the, the, the American dream or the Australian dream.
1: I, the, the world. Yeah, the world has become quite. I uh, think everybody globalized. has. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. I think for the most peop- most part, the most peop- the people that I meet anyway have this. The aspirations to essentially work for themselves yeah. somehow, way or shape or form, whether or not it's part-time or full-time. But I'm always asked questions like, how did you do it? And yeah. I'm like, wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: But, um, it's yeah, I'm, I feel super, super blessed that I so can. So
0: whereabouts in Sydney did you live?
1: I grew up in Sydney, Sydney Southwest.
0: In Southwest, in yeah. In Camden. Camden, right.
1: Um, uh, actually, mum and Dad, we lived in Nurellin, Yeah. So I guess like a little s- sub-city of Camden. Um, Sydney Southwest, right. <laughs> oh, the Sydney Southwest kid. Mm-hmm.
0: And you enjoyed your time in Sydney growing up?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I miss it daily.
0: Do you still have family back in Sydney? All my
1: is back there. So
0: you get back every year? Every year, Yeah, great. Uh, for
1: the most part for Christmas, Okay. Um, unless there's some crazy plans happening, but I gotta then, go back and see mum and dad.
0: And then fast forward to the age of 23, you just mm-hmm. kinda up and, up and away and you go to, to New York City. So what was the draw?
1: To New York? Yeah. Uh, li- Location really yeah. I just wanted to be I had family in LA Okay, and I thought that being 23 and super sheltered so to speak that I was going to be kind of like coddled and not really Really able to really test and challenge myself. Okay, and I was a very very um, uh, Tenacious kid And so I decided to just go to New York because it was more centrally located in the world But that uh, it also had was a city. I'd never been to I didn't know anybody um, and I thought that if I'm gonna test myself, I'm gonna dive right into the deep end, so that's why New York.
0: So what was the what was the shift? At what point did you get to, your, you're in your life in, in Australia and Sydney, you're 23 years of age. Like what was the gusto? what was the moment you're like, you know what, I, I'm just gonna do it, I'm gonna go for it.
1: Well truth be told, um, during high school I held a little part-time job right. and saved up every single dollar I could. Yeah, I my heard. plan was to really sort of graduate high school and put a backpack on my back and like traveled the world kind of like hostile style okay um however my parents kind of reeled me back in and said nah no we're not ready for that and i was also i'm the oldest of three daughters um and growing up I, there was always this mantra that i was like a leader and had to do things so my sister sisters could essentially look up to me and you know lead the way type of situation um so mom and dad said please go to uni please just just do that and so i spent just basically be a good role
0: model Exactly. Yeah.
1: God, I love my sisters. <laughs> so um, I, I did that. I, I, I did that. I put all my money saved aside to buying a car because I lived in Camden, New yeah. And I went to the University of Wollongong, so I needed a car.
0: Yeah, right. Wow, that's a bit of an epic drive. Yeah. And so what did you study?
1: Uh, I got a BA in, um, a double major in finance and design. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So this part of your life, had fitness played any role?
1: Um, yes and no. Um, no, in a sense that it was not something that I ever considered a career or anything to take seriously. Right. However, like from the age of, I couldn't even remember. If my mom was here, she'd probably tell you like two. As soon as I could walk, maybe nine months, she said I walked in nine months. I was moving constantly and I was very overactive. My parents put me in little athletics.
0: Oh my God, that's where I got my start as well. Okay, cool. Yeah.
1: because So athletics, track and field was life. Yeah. Um, and then I come from a ridiculously sporty family. So, all my cousins played rugby and soccer. Um, and so, fitness as a whole or in general was very much part of my upbringing. Um, and and then I'm somewhat modest because I did run a competitive track. Like, I was kind of like top three in the country, yeah, ran wow. national. Was a
0: sprinter? Sprints, yeah. Yeah, me too. 100,
1: 200, 4x1, yeah. 4x2, 2, long yeah. jump. Um but I mean, I would never in a million years think that I was gonna pursue something or be where I'm at now regarding fitness.
0: Yeah, yeah right. And so along comes the age of 23 and yeah. you finally get to a point where the sisters are set.
1: Yes, right, <laughs> I graduated. Yeah. I worked a year because I then had to save a little more money. Okay. Uh, and I said, I'm out, I gotta go anywhere but here. And I say that, side note, not because I disliked Australia or disliked Sydney, I've obviously grown. When you're removed from home, you realize how much you took it for granted. I love home, but um, I needed to see the world. I yeah. just, I needed to see How'd something else, yeah.
0: And so off you go to New York City. Yeah. Did you know anybody? Not a soul. Not a soul, so you literally moved to another city. Yes. The busiest city in the entire world. That's what they say. Yeah, on the other side of the planet. Did you have a job lined up? No. You had money, a bit of money saved? A
1: little bit of money saved, that's yeah. all I had. I had some money in my back pocket, two suitcases, a laptop. Um, and um, yeah, no place to stay. And I, I love that you
0: told your mom, your mom was worried about you, so you said, mom, I'm crashing on a friend's couch.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I, well, you have to lie to your parents. <laughs> you can't tell them that you're gonna go to the other side of the world and not even have anybody to kind of scoop you from the airport, Yeah, right. no. So I told them that I had made some friends in uni yeah. that were exchange students and that were gonna scoop me and I was gonna crash on someone's couch and then I had already a few job interviews lined up. So you did? No, it's all a lie. <laughs> I can say that now. You
0: can say that now. Sorry, Mom. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But
1: uh, no, I, I basically put myself in a hotel, paid for 21 days up front. Right. And that was and the that test. was your
0: max? That was your max? Well, that's
1: all I could, I could budget for at the time. Right. You know, so I was like, I'm going to give myself Well, that was your window.
0: Days. You see, i got three weeks to get my shit together. Exactly. Otherwise, I'm I'm back on a plane to yep. Sydney. The,
1: the goal was three weeks to find a job find a place to stay, and hopefully meet a few friends along the way.
0: And so what happens next?
1: By day 19, I had three job offers.
0: No. Um,
1: I had made a whole bunch of friends that are still my friends today, which is amazing. Um, and I found a, an amazing apartment in Brooklyn that I never left for 10 years. And if you ask anybody that lives in New wow. York, they tend to like go from lease to lease to lease and lived in like 17 different places. But um, I stayed in the one place.
0: For 10 years. And yeah. so what was the first job you took in um, in New York?
1: Um, that's a good question. I was a s- inside sales executive yeah. working for a company that licensed video footage. So very much like Getty Images, yeah, for but video. for video.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. And how long were you with them for?
1: I did a full year. Okay. But it was by maybe month eight or nine, yeah. I realized, oh, this is a struggle. Yeah. I, I found myself working ridiculous hours. Um, and I was super young. And I didn't want to be in office all day. I wanted to be out there in the city and planning my next travel. So I decided I was gonna do a whole year, because at least that looks decent on a you know resume. Yep. Um, and then I was, gotta get out of there.
0: And so you did that? I did that, you after got 12 out of there. months. <laughs> and then what happened?
1: Um, there's a short uh, uh, pit stop, if you will. I almost joined the Marines. Oh, what? The same building as this job was a, um, yeah, right. a recruitment agency, and we became really good friends. And he said, yo, you go down to Virginia, you can go through the training, since you think you're so adventurous and athletic, and if you pass, we might invite you to join the Marines. But it's, there's no obligation. It's not mandatory to join. So I'm like, cool, I don't want to join the Marines, but I'll do the training. Plus, we pay you. <laughs> so I was like, cool, rent will be paid in New York. I'll go down there. Um, but long story short, Dad, who served in the U.S. Air Force, was like, if I have to fly over there myself and kill you myself, I will. You will not join the Marines. So that cut short.
0: So he didn't even do the training?
1: No. I was so disappointed. I went through all like the medical procedures and and got checked by their doctors. I was almost good to go. But my dad said, ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. But so I decided I was going to look for another job because there was no way I was going to stay or go back rather. Um, And then I signed up to some type of agency that kind of like spit me out to a bunch of different places. I was willing to take anything. I was really desperate at that point. Um, And fell into this role. I met this man that was CEO and founder of what was relatively a small company that were growing rapidly. And then life just took another turn. (laughs) What does that mean? That means, I say this, keep it nice and short. Yeah. Have you seen the movie Devil Wears Prada?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So
1: not to put my boss in that light, because he was actually a very charismatic, awesome individual. Yeah. But he was a full-on dude. (laughs) And he was growing A company very quickly and he was very passionate about the growth um, and his company Um, took a liking to me I worked directly for him so I was EA, PA, office wife dealing with family, friends, private travel I was basically coordinating private events and um, everything you could think of running around like a mad person um, but really kind of living this you know, cliche young girl in New York City kind of life. Um, Learned really quickly about a lot of different things, um, and really much shadowed an entrepreneur at the fi- at his finest.
0: Was this the first time you had been exposed to entrepreneurship?
1: I'd say so. Yeah. On that capacity, that yeah. level, absolutely.
0: And at what point in the journey, in your journey, did you start feeling the compulsion that you wanted to do something for yourself?
1: So, in working um, for, in Joe, <laughs> I. I was in a relationship, Right. Um, one I thought was going to be, you know,
0: happily ever the after. one, you yeah. know.
1: Um, great person, I adore him um, and his family. And I think I, I, I threw myself into that relationship much deeper than I think would have been healthy now in hindsight. right. Um, you know, fell in love with him and his family and also kind of like his family as, as a whole. You know, growing up the way I did, my family sort of move and operate like a tribe. Like, it's doors open. My aunts and uncles were very close. I'm half Samoan. So I think that's what attracted me more so to him than, say, the the kind of cliché idea of love, was yeah. his family. It really was, because I was kind of taken in. Um, you know, his mother became like a mother. His older brother was like my big bro. And so I was very much immersed in that. And I think this is the reason why I fell so hard, yeah. you know. So um, my my ex was a professional athlete. Yeah. And sort of navigating that life here in the United States and how they completely idolize athletes was not not so much foreign to me, but kind of like I was flabbergasted. You are at a different
0: level over here. Like yes, in Australia, yeah. if you're a if you're a competitive athlete, you you're someone that they look people look up to. But over here, you're legitimate yes. demigods. Right, yeah. absolutely.
1: Um, so Really, kind of like finding my place in that type of life or environment was really foreign to me. Um, and then, sadly, and also very, you know, it's not common, you know, they.
0: Things happen. Do their thing. Yeah.
1: Um, and I was heartbroken, to, yeah, to say right. the least. And um, not just that, I, I kind of lost my best friend because we'd been dear friends before we even decided to date. Um, I chose to kind of exclude myself from the family, his brother. And really put myself in a hole, and that was my choice. Right? Because I was still reaching out; there was still love there. Um, But in that, I I came. um, I lived in a state of denial. I I realized now that I was suffering from deep depression. But I would, you know, leave my apartment with a smile on my face and and be the person that I am at work and amongst friends, um, knowing very well that it, it. I was really hurting inside. Yeah, right. So things got really bad. Um, I, I remember literally crying myself to sleep every night, and and in a very short period of time, lost a gang of weight because um, I just lost my appetite. Um, and and this life was really bad at that point, you know.
0: And so, then. Ben, I feel um, like this is leading towards yes, this massive. Okay, I can keep on going. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: figured I'd let you say something, but uh, no, like no. I'm more,
0: I'm more curious about like at what point, because like I, have read the story, and okay. and, I, and and it's not that I don't want to hear what's coming next, but I'm, I'm curious to hear from your words, you know, because I think a lot of people experience what you experience, mm-hmm. whether it be through heartbreak or, you know, through disappointment in life, you know, they, they d- depression or mental illness is becoming quite common now. It's almost yeah. like at epidemic levels. So I'm curious, you know, at what point. Did you ask for help? Did you reach out? Like, what was your moment where things started to shift and turn around for you? Yeah.
1: So, it, it was bad. Yeah. Um, and I often recall When you say
0: bad, like, were you put on medication? No. Because yeah. I
1: was not denial. You couldn't tell me I was yeah, sick. Right. or Like, I, I mean, I'm fine. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think... And, I, and I, I recant this story often because I remember it so vividly. Right. I remember it being a Friday morning and I was literally... All it was was work home, yeah. sleep. Um, and I remember waking up that morning to get ready for work. I walk into my bathroom and um, the the cabinet is open. And I remember just closing it. And in closing it, I caught a reflection of myself. Um, daunt puffy eyes, I would look a hot mess before I left for work. Um, but in that particular moment, I shocked myself so much that I remember just sort of falling to the ground and just weeping, like just crying again and just, having a moment where I was like, yo, go home. You need to go home to Australia. Just Go back home, this is not working. You don't have an answer. Um, I, I had suicidal thoughts. I, I used to literally um, take sharp ob- objects and sort of like print them into my skin with no intent of wanting to hurt myself, but the pain. Mm. So I knew it was really bad. And in that moment, um, I remember calling in, just calling into work, and I never take a day off the way my boss operated, it was like, you better be dead. Exactly. Yeah. But I remember calling and I said, I can't come in today. And it's usually an argument, like, yes you can. But I think he knew. Like, I was losing a lot of weight and we, become, we became really good friends. And so he, he said, take the time. Um, and I remember sitting there and literally wiping away my tears. And so here's the thing, pride, ego, I have a lot of it sometimes. So usually in a more positive sense. Um, But I knew if I decided to plan to go home, I would then have to face my parents, who had not raised that girl. Mm. Um, um, Had to face my sisters, who I pride myself on being a good role model, Um, and explain to them that I'm back here looking like a hot mess because a boy broke my heart. I said, I will not do that. So what does one do? I remember just sitting there, literally hours, thinking what is it that makes me feel good? makes me feel better um, and it took me back to my track days movement just moving fresh air um, just exercise any type of type of exercise and so I went down to the gym and I started working out it was that simple but I found myself in there maybe three four hours just going crazy
0: um, every day
1: well the first day
0: the first day right um,
1: but I noticed right after that I walked out of the gym and I was like wow I am hungry. Finally, have my appetite back because I wasn't yeah. bulimic. I wasn't anorexic. I just had no appetite.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So I'd suck on candy all day just to keep my electrolytes up or whatnot. <laughs> but um, I had a real appetite and knowing because I came from a competitive background um, to fuel my body right so I could do it all over again next day. Right. And then slowing as slowly. Uh, surely
0: so you exercising by default exactly. pushed you into eating healthy again.
1: Yep. Because I wanted to be able to maintain this level um, of, of movement, especially in strength training. Yeah. And I was also running a, a, a whole lot. Um, but- And were you grew- on
0: Instagram at this point?
1: Um, was I? I'm sure I did have an account, yeah. but the type of content or was I active on it, probably yeah. not so much. Okay. But um, I definitely grew an addiction to the gym. Like, and I know that because If there were times because work got so insane that I couldn't go to the gym, I would feel some type of way. Like I would crave to be in there because it was the one thing that made me feel better. And I knew the addiction was real when I realized that the pain that I would put my physical self through in lifting heavy weights and moving the type of way that I was, um, was essentially taking the emotional and spiritual pain away because I then had to give it to my physical body. Mm. Um, but I, I recognized that pretty early and it neglected it knowing, knowing that it was a bad, not a bad, I mean a good thing, um, but I very much walked into the gym knowing like, what can I do that's gonna like make my muscles like cry? You know, because right. for, for those few hours, I didn't think about it distracted no ex- you off your other absolutely, pain. yeah,
0: absolutely replacing one pain with another exactly. You know, I was actually one of my clients who's a personal trainer said to me, he said, Cohen, you need to stop punishing the body you hate and start creating the body that you love." Wonderful, I know, right? That is that yeah. is strong, yeah. And so you you're hitting the gym, you're starting to feel better. Yep, you're still in your PAEA job.
1: Yeah, very okay. much so.
0: But life is coming back together again. So I thought. You're right.
1: So very, sh- I want to say three, four months. My body transformed really quickly.
0: You're
1: right.
0: Cell um, so memory. You've, you've got exactly. a base level. And I was training You're crazy. Really hard.
1: I was in there like probably, strength training at least six days a week at least. Yeah, right. Um, so I would go home and I would see this amazing body transform. I was like, okay. Um, but I knew something was still wrong because I would still go home and fall asleep crying in my pillow. So... What I noticed was the physical body was changing but heart and soul mind was still the same. So again was there
0: like at this point any kind of conscious yearning like towards there's got to be something more or was it just Absolutely, a, yeah. a feeling of not fitting in at that point with what you were doing?
1: No, I I knew I I mean at least I had I guess the intellect or at least I should I say um vibing on a different frequency to understand that what I was doing was still unhealthy. Right. But I was still doing it anyways because it was better than what I came from. Yes. Um, and so even though um, my body was transforming and I was essentially happy with like in the body that I was building, I knew that something was still off. And so I had another moment where I sat down with myself and I'm like, okay, what else makes me feel better? Um, what makes me feel happy? Um, um, and that family came into play travel, all the things that originally took me to the United States. Um, And so, essentially that's what I did. I took some time off work, Uh, I went home, I traveled again, Uh, I became uh, an avid reader, I was the person that was um, writing positive affirmations on post-its and putting them all over my apartment, vision boards. Um, That became very much part of my life. Right, and Um, you're still
0: in a job at this point.
1: I'm still in a job. Working So it's crazy like building,
0: hours. building, 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 yes. building up. Yeah.
1: Until I felt I came to a place where everything was more aligned. Right. Um, the way I felt inside um, became a reflection of how I looked from the outside. Um, my whole mindset changed in doing these daily practices, uh, meditation, prayer, um, spending and giving my time only to people that elevated me and inspired me. Versus, you know, the girlfriends that just want to get together talking about, you know, um, the hottest new handbag on sale or at you know at Nordstroms or whatnot. Um, I, I recognized time was extremely valuable and I chose not to want to waste it anymore. Um, was
0: there I, any kind of moment around that? Like when you had a conscious realization around the concept of time?
1: Um, I remember many times actually. Okay. Drinks after work, that whole yeah. um, New York vibe of of working crazy hours, going out, having drinks. I remember again after work, I, I would go to the gym. So I was kind of forced into taking drinks because yo, know, you never come out anymore. <laughs> and sure enough, so I said okay, yeah. you know, a few hours and sipping on a wine, and just hearing literally conversations like I'm kind of stuck in the matrix, mm. and I'm listening and I'm this conversation and that conversation. I'm like none of this is relevant to me in my life, my goals or my priorities. And I'm like, I gotta go. And then it was then, I was like, I'm only gonna give my time to things that I'm passionate about or consciously wanna be around. Um, and these, these types of things just changed everything, because it...
0: But there was no line in the sand moment for you, it was like it, this pressure built up over time.
1: Oh, uh, well, no, not so much in that regard, but when it came to my job, yes. Because yeah. okay. I left very abruptly. Right. Yeah.
0: And how'd that go down?
1: Um, so before I tell that part, I actually had tried to resign numerous times. Right. And the boss was like, nope, not going to let you, because we were always in the thick of something. And um, I knew to replace me and what I did, not for him just professionally, but even like personally with with everything else, Um, it would almost be so difficult to find my replacement. So I remember him just saying, nope, take another vacation. Give me a little bonus or something that would give me some type of incentive not to leave. Um, but then one day, um, I don't remember how I'd, how I'd been feeling the night before, um, but I remember the routine in getting ready for work, walking to the subway, hitting the subway, being stuck like a sardine amongst everybody else taking a moment, looking up, and looking at everybody just be completely, like, not present. Going, wow, is this really my life? Walking into the office, then being bombarded by several, like, executives. Because essentially, you couldn't really talk to my boss unless he made an appointment or you got through me. So everybody kind of attacks you for that. And I remember just going, give me a moment. I remember sort of closing my office door. I remember taking a seat. I had two computer screens, I had a phone. When my boss sat in his corner office, there was like, a, it was a like glass offices, so he could see me and I could see him if we kind of maneuver a certain way. So I was in, he actually got in there before me that day, um, which is very rare, and I take a seat. He must have saw me, so my phone starts ringing. I look, I see his name, and it's just ringing, and I find myself just staring at this phone. So I look up, and I realize I'm fighting back tears. Hangs up, obviously, and then calls back immediately. Then I look over, and he's like, answer the phone. And I remember just going, oh, my God, I cannot do this. So I'm there. I'm like fighting back tears, fighting back tears. And then he comes into the office and goes, what the fuck? Come in the office. I need to speak to you. And I'm just like, can I have a moment? And then I take a moment. I walk in there. I take a seat, and I sink into this chair, and I say, can't do it no more. I got to go. And in that moment he was like I know I know he finally doesn't fight me and so I was kind of like oh okay and it's as if several elephants just jumped off my shoulders um, and in that moment I just agreed that I'd stay on until I could find a suitable replacement yeah but I essentially resigned right th- on the spot
0: how long does it take you to exit
1: um, if I remember correctly, it was like maybe eight, nine weeks. Okay,
0: wow, that's <laughs> so kind we went
1: through a whole lot oh, of applicants. Oh, I can imagine. Applicants. Yeah. And it's, when you work with somebody yeah. like that. It, it's a
0: different kind of relationship. Much different, yeah.
1: much different. Because we didn't have a typical or traditional relationship. So at the point where
0: you decided, okay, this is it, I c- enough's enough. Then at this point, before the eight-week period where you worked out of the role, like, mm. did you know what was going to come next?
1: Not really there was a level of peace I had. Right. I don't remember kind of like scrambling yeah I was pretty much just going through my regular routine um, and I did plan to leave and go spend some time with my family before I kind of worked it out. Um, I was smart in the sense that I definitely had like a little cushion of yeah. savings um, but I knew it had to be in fitness right I knew that I was gonna do something and uh, quite honestly, in that period, I was using social media. So I did have this kind of organic following at the time because I was sharing my workouts. I was sharing um, quotes and parts of my travel, um, books I was reading, um, food I was eating. So there was like a an audience, if you will. Yeah. Um, and at that time, if I remember correctly, when I uh, by the time I left, I might have had like 50,000 Um,
0: That's a big following well, right, but to me
1: it was kind of like oh, that's neat That's cool, but I didn't put any kind of
0: relevance on it to me
1: It was just what it was, but it wasn't until a friend said to me. He said holy smokes You have like 50,000 people following you and I my response was like yeah, it's crazy And he asked me a question that changed the how I thought about it and he said very simply what are you gonna do about it? and I was like "Uh." Uh I don't so know when
0: is this? Let's look at the t- the, the the chronological How, what what year is this when this goes down?
1: So this was before I resigned. Okay. Um it's it was perhaps like the the seed planted if okay. you will, you know. Um I, I had no idea what I was going to do about okay. it. I didn't think that there was any call to action at all. Um but I knew in him saying so, and somebody I respect that moves a little differently in life, yeah. um that something could be done.
0: Right.
1: I, I just never acted on it cuz I'm in this role I'm well paid, um, so I, I never really gave it two thoughts until, you know, I'm in this space now, training somebody, and I'm kind of like, I'm gonna have to figure this out, um, but didn't do anything about it really, um, naively until I came back from traveling, and going home, seeing mom. So
0: how much time did you take <laughs> off?
1: All together, it was probably like four to five weeks. Okay. Yeah.
0: So you did your your eight eight week workout, and then you you took four weeks off. Yep. And again, I'm I'm curious as to, was there any kind of commercial idea coming together at this point? Did you have any idea about how this was gonna commercialize? Right,
1: so the one thing that I was always asked on social media is like, oh my gosh, I wanna train with you. Like, I like uh, your energy, your philosophy, um, you know. and I was sharing a very strong image about um, body image and how you don't have to be like this to consider yourself fit, strong, feminine, Beautiful and so I guess the way I was speaking about body image and kind of like breaking down What was like what mass media was saying was Bible? Mm. um, There was a lot of women that came like I just want to be around your energy like can you train me? And this would be somebody in Dallas or San Diego or Atlanta or Philly and I'm like in Brooklyn and so this idea of like group fitness came about and I was um, running free workouts in my local park which was a couple of my friends that had a great time, that invo- invited their coworkers, that came, That in- then invited their friends, and what was like three, four people over a certain amount of weeks in my l- local park, 30, 40, 50 people, until park authorities were like, hey, you need a permit for this. You can't have all these people out here.
0: So how long did it take you to build it up to that point? Uh,
1: I really c- can't remember. I wanna say I had been doing it for at least six months. Right. And then because of social media, like I'd be putting pictures and yeah. videos or whatnot on, on the gram. And then sure enough, people were like, oh my gosh, can you come to Houston? Can you come here? Can you come? And I was like, oh, there's a great demand for that. I was like, I guess I can. <laughs> so I figured it out. I would pay for my own travel, put myself in a hotel, find a public park to come squat in. I bought a, like a little portable speaker, bought myself a few cones mapped out a little area. I said, I'm gonna be here at this time. Here's a cost, register online. Um, and sure enough, I just started funding my own tour.
0: Wow. So you started doing a group fitness tour?
1: That's how it all began, really. Wow. And things took off from there.
0: And so how long did it take you to replace your income before you actually started fi- realizing that, okay, this isn't, because I'm gonna assume this was born out of purpose. Like this was born out of like, how, like I lo- this is what you love. Absolutely. And then it was yeah. a natural consequence to people asking you, you know, they're seeing what it is that you love, you're doing what it is that you love, and they're asking for help with what it is that you love. Yep. But I don't think I've ever heard of anyone, apart from, you know, these big Instagram influencers who would actually do a group fitness tour. Yeah. Like most people would like, yeah, it's going to be, you know, Monday through Saturday at uh, the local park, you know, be there, be square. But you decide to go on the road. That's a pretty big decision.
1: I I, I guess when you say it like that. Yeah. Okay. Do I get points for that? Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: I think so. But would you agree? Like, because you know you're obviously I guess in the industry. now in hindsight, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, the thing is, it was the message. The yeah. message was universal. Yeah. Um, and being um a woman of color, um that didn't necessarily fit like like the the definition of yeah. what it was to be X Y Z in fitness. Um, I realized by saying, hey, this is who I am. This is my truth. This is where I came from. Um, I noticed a lot of women be like, oh, me too, me too. I've been an athlete all my life, but I'm apparently considered overweight. I've been lifting weights, da da, da and I've been told that I'm too muscular, too manly, that I'll never find a husband. Or um, teenagers, young girls saying, oh, finally there's somebody that looks like me, Doing something that I love to do, mm. um, and of course, there's no parameters for that. It wasn't only women in Brooklyn that yeah. um, appealed to that or related. It was it was, it was across, across the, the country. Was there any
0: moment in the journey where you started to go, "Fuck, I'm not only doing what I love, but I'm actually kind of making some great money with this. Like, maybe there's like an entrepreneurial empire here that I can give birth to." Yeah. Did that happen organically, or is there a moment where that 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 that, that came to you and was like, "Shit, I can actually do something big here."
1: Well, I think in the first year, um, I uh, you know what I earned, I think might have been a mere fraction, maybe a quarter or less than a third of what I was making in the corporate world. Um, but that was okay, yeah. and I had I essentially had enough to sort of cover my expenses and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, it wasn't probably t- maybe year two, moving into year three. Um, definitely by year three, I had exceeded my income, um, and and this may sound silly because I have friends in business that be like, that sounds ridiculous. And you can say it, but you might not mean it. But I can say this genuinely. I have never in this process since resigning from my job truly been motivated by money.
0: Mm. Like
1: it's never been like, how can I make the most money?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I essentially have always been about sticking to the roots. Was This is what I did to help mold and change my life for the better. And if you relate and it can help you, awesome. And then I can provide services that give us give us more of a deeper relationship or more access to me somehow that I essentially need to monetize because I do have bills and yeah. rent and things like that to pay. But I essentially just wanted to create a, like a quality service where women actually felt like I was a friend because now I realize especially what five, six years in, That that's what holds me is that I am truly genuine in the fact that I want to help people. Um, And I'm the one that's super humbled where I could be anywhere in the country and somebody recognizes me and they're like super excited. And I'm just equally like, oh, my God, (laughs) this is so awesome. You know what I mean? So um, I think that's one thing that I, I definitely love. So it's Batman. almost like
0: you do what you do, and money is the natural consequence.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like I'm one of the most blessed people to be able to say that.
0: Yeah, right. And,
1: and, and, and credit to my father, who always said, um, you know, never focus on chasing a dollar. He would say, focus on just being the best at whatever you choose to do in life, and the money will come. Mm-hmm. And so um, I like to say that I'm just a living example of that mantra that Dad always instilled in us.
0: So it's interesting. Let's talk about your parents for a second. Yeah. So, um, your parents obviously got a, a close relationship with dad and mom. Yeah. What, were, what do you think were the, the greatest lessons that they gave you or the greatest things that they did for you as a child that you still now see benefit you here today?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, starting with dad, yeah. uh, I think now as an adult, I find myself seeing a lot more in common with my father. Um, in a sense that my dad was uh, raised in a small, small country town in Kentucky. Um, very, very bright and I know that he wanted to do something with his life so he joined the Air Force because when one comes up with nothing, they they need a a way out. Um, He traveled a lot um, and was a a true professional in his field. Um, Now works as a radar engineer and is literally one Mm -hmm. of the best at what he does. Um, He met my mother along the way who was a little old island girl that came from a massive family, valued family, valued stability. Um, and I think you know with dad I find myself wanting to move I'm not afraid of change mm. um, like my father he likes to test himself constantly challenges regardless of age or his parameters always trying to better himself in any type of way shape or form um, I find myself very much the same um, so I think now in hindsight looking back at all the things Dad kind of instilled and when you don't realize it as a kid yeah he was also very adventurous. Loved nature. We spent a lot of time camping, canoeing, spending time in the water, fishing. Oh, beautiful! Um, that these are things now that I value so much, and the reason why I feel like I can move freely in the world mm. and um, without fear. Mm. Now, my mother, um, I, I, I don't know how, even where to begin. She is probably one of the most remarkable people I've I've ever known. Wow, what? And a I say that I try to say that very unbiasedly because a lot of people say that about their mothers. But my mother instilled in us, my sisters and I, um, a true sense of family and what matters. Just simply what matters. Um, And and it's an invaluable lesson to to have, especially as an adult, especially as a young person having moved to the other side of the world, um, navigating life by myself for the very first time. Because our family is very, very close and we Mm. all grow up together um, on my Polynesian side. my mother has been very, uh, a spiritual guide, has been, um, reminds me that whenever I feel lost or alone, just to always remember where I come from, because that is deeply rooted in strength. Um, so again, there's so many, I, I've been blessed to have great parents, and they, they separated when I was very you sound young. sound like a
0: little Moana. I, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well that was
1: a great example, <laughs> yeah. because my family, I'm not sure if you know too much about Polynesian culture, but being a little black girl, being raised in Australia, yeah. my family unit and my Polynesian backgrounds were everything, were mm. my roots. Now, when I moved to the United States at age 23, I knew nothing about what it was to be black. I knew nothing. Wow. My first experience in black culture happened at age 23. Wow. And so, even though I may look like an African American, I'm very much, I am, um, I didn't know how to navigate as one. In America, they like to label you. So I wasn't Polynesian, right. although my heart was. I yeah, am right. Polynesian. Yeah. I, I had to really navigate a whole other world in different multiple levels of the sense wow. of being somewhere new. Because um, I was seen a certain way and I, Apparently, I had to live up to that or be that.
0: Did you experience racism in America that you didn't Absolutely. experience in Australia? Absolutely. Was that something within itself that you had to get used to as a as a natural part of life over here? Yeah, or?
1: I don't I don't like to think of me having to get used to it because I know now that yeah, right. I don't want to get used to it, and I'm yeah. very much I navigate life very much aware. Yeah. However, when you're super young and yeah. uh, essentially alone, everything sort of came um, as a lesson and one that was very disheartening. Um, mm. The way I was raised was to move with love, to welcome everybody, to be loving and trusting. Now, when I moved to the United States, I found myself seeing other women of color, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have other black friends. But I was not received that way because it was like, oh, who are you? It was a sense of kind of prove yourself because we don't know what this is. And that's also another part of my messaging in fitness too—is the idea that I can bring masses of women together Mm. um, that are primarily minorities. Yeah. um, But then—is that a big
0: part of your client base? Is minority? I I say so. Yes. I mean,
1: it really depends on which city, because sometimes it's half half. But I say, as a whole, I speak primarily to to a minority group.
0: Wow, yeah. that's a great niche to be involved in. I
1: think so, they're amazing.
0: Okay, so you're now, at what age did you leave and you're now doing the, 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 the fitness boot camp, you're now doing the, the boot camp tours, what age is this?
1: Um, uh, I was 30.
0: Okay, so how many years ago is that? Five.
1: Five, <laughs> that
0: cheeky way of asking your age. Yeah. Um, okay, and so then how did the business start to work? Because now you don't just have... You don't, your business model has changed a lot now.
1: Yeah, I mean, so there's certain things. Everything came from demand, nothing was intentional. And this is probably considering where you come from, like, oh really, that's happened? I never thought to have anything first before the demand was there. So, again, my key messaging on social media, people were like, oh my gosh, can you put that on a T-shirt? I want that. And I'm like, oh, okay, let me print some T-shirts. Can I train with you? Can I train with you? Do you do online training? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. No, I don't, but maybe I'll do some training programs. Um,
0: So you produce online courses?
1: Right. Um, Because of the presence of social media and how it works, and I know you're all too familiar, I I get um, offers for collaborations, uh, campaigns, um, that were a blessing because I was not aware that someone would pay me X amount to post something that I already use daily or eat daily, was it amazing. Um, and then free product, yeah, that was also really cool. <laughs> um, but nothing that I'm doing to monetize where I am right now, uh, first came with intent. Yeah. It was always a reaction to a demand.
0: Yeah. yeah, well that's actually, that's a great way to build a business. It is? Wow, when you think of how many people build a business, you because know, one of the things that's interesting is most people will get an idea They'll go, oh my God, I've got a great idea for this widget. They'll go and build the widget. They'll go and make the widget. They'll invest in the widget. They'll get prototypes developed. And then they finally, eight months later, they've spent you know 10000 or $120,000 and they've got this widget. But they have no idea if anyone's going to buy it. Oh, OK. It. okay. You know, so by virtue of you creating a demand first, like that's actually probably the smartest way that you can build a business okay. is by servicing a demand. So yeah. OK, I'll take that. <laughs> so what have been the, like the top three biggest lessons that you've had to learn? you know, as a transition from being someone who's, you know, been an employee, then you've moved into the fitness space, but then you become not just a, you know, a fitness professional, fitness influencer, but you're now like in the fitness entrepreneur space. Like what have been some of the biggest lessons? If there was three top lessons that you've learned on Mm. the business side of the fitness business, what would it be?
1: It's a really good question. Um, I think, because it, I think it does pertain to, business. Yeah. Um, what I found is that when you're in an influencer space, um, you may be speaking to a particular brand um, that kind of wants you to bend a certain way um, to maybe to fit into their, um, their key messaging uh, or their image. Uh, and at the end of that conversation is a check and sometimes a very healthy check. Um, what I found to be a lesson, also a wake-up call, um, is to not always have to bite at every opportunity that comes my Mm. way just because there is a check at the end of this activation or campaign. Um, What I pride myself in is remaining authentic. So I'll never collaborate with or use or promote something that I just truly don't use um, genuinely agree with or, or love and that's something that's been important to me that I've held true to this day um, so in business um, it, it's kind of like this balance or well, a lesson that I've learned yeah. um, to stay true but also be smart enough to be like well perhaps I can negotiate something so it does sit with me better um, both morally and all these great things but um, that's one lesson that I think is a constant one for me Yeah. Um, Another would be um, uh, well. It, you kind of answered this earlier, but I always feel like I'm doing things backwards, and I've I've always wanted to be more proactive. But I know I do not manage time well. I'm terrible at it. What I realize is there's the one. Th- I mean, there's different types of people, right? I've done have done like one of these studies before. And there's one that are, are super. Um, they're into numbers and structure. Um, and timelines um, use calendars and there's another that is just truly the creative now i told you i did a my ba is in finance and design yeah, yeah. if i wasn't doing fitness i'd be teaching art to children
0: yeah right so
1: i am a creative at heart okay right so i can sit there and be the talent all day but then when it comes to all these other things i suck
0: at it so how how well have you done at putting people around you that balance out your weaknesses
1: uh, on a scale of 1 to 5, 5 being phenomenal, probably point 0.5. Yeah, right. I'm not good at it. Yeah. But I'm also not trusting. Okay. Because I am the way I am, I'm also a bit of a control freak.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I'm terrible at it. Now, I've had some great mentors um, and great people in my circle that I basically just grab the advice from and just try to do everything on my own. But to answer your question, I'm horrible.
0: Is it something that you want to improve on? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that could be something. Yeah, we could talk about later. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm curious. Like you, your, you, your brand's taken off. You, you've now got over half a million followers on Instagram. You know, you've got all these incredible products. You've got a fat. Like it's, uh, it's almost like a, I've looked at your, uh, your apparel. It's almost like you've got your little fashion line.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a work in progress. Yeah. but It's, it's again very crazy how people are like, oh my god, I want that, and then sure enough, you know.
0: And so what's next? Like, What do you see is the, is the next evolution of of uh, leader Lewis Brand?
1: That's a very good question. Yeah. And, I, and I think I've been pondering this for at least 18 oh, good. months. Yeah, good. Um, everything changes, right? And I, I try to operate from a place that if social media just disappeared tomorrow, like who are you? That's my question. Mm. Um, who am I without this presence? Um, and I keep coming back down to this I think ultimate goal, and when I say it out loud, most people think I sound crazy. Um, But I'm gonna say it anyways. I think the ultimate goal for me, no, I know the ultimate goal for me would be to take my messaging and put it on a different level, a different platform. Now what would that platform be? Because I've pondered that as well. And I thought, and I think, Um, one person that I know that has a colossal platform that shares a positive message, um, advocates for brands, businesses, books, whether or not business, health, um, celebrity, that is supposed to inspire the masses. I think of Oprah Winfrey. Mm. And I think of the Oprah Winfrey show. And I thought, how awesome would it be if there was like a new age Oprah? Not that I want to be Oprah, but be somebody that would have a platform big enough to reach the masses, where I can be like a catalyst or somebody that would be somebody that brings all different types of inspiration to a platform or a stage. Um, And so when I say, oh, I wanna be like another Oprah Winfrey, um, people are like,
0: girl, that's crazy.
1: But I'm like, sure, it is pretty crazy, but I think- Crazy or
0: inspired, yeah. Maybe, I'm not too
1: sure, but There was a time where I'd be like, I'm gonna keep that one to myself. (laughs) Um, But I think ultimately I'd love to be able.
0: Wow, I think that that, that really kind of prompts the next question which is, so when's the podcast coming?
1: I'm terrible, again, I'm, I'm wow. so, I don't know about podcasts. I, I have friends that do it and they do so well at it. I guess maybe it's I have to go sort of inside myself again and remind myself that I'm capable yeah. because I always feel like I just don't have what it takes. I couldn't.
0: Well, I think that's the challenge sometimes when you've got a good brand that's doing well is you know, the, the, that has so much potential. It's like you could do anything, you know? so okay. what do you choose to do? And I think it seems to me you're someone that chooses to do the things that align with you. But uh, it sounds like you need to put some support structures around you so that you can pursue these projects and enable you to, you know, bring these these these, this inspiration to fruition, because the world needs more leaders. The world needs more Oprahs. You know, there is no, there is no. um, What's what I'm looking for? There is no, um, you know, what Oprah's done has has been an incredible gift to uh, to humanity in general. But it doesn't mean that there's no one else that can follow. Like, the funny thing is about this. Like, I want to be Wopra. So which is the white Oprah, so, okay. <laughs> I've been saying this that That's was the whole goal, cool. when I first started the podcast, I was like, oh, I'm not sure I, if I'm going to enjoy this. And I started doing it I was like, wow, I actually really enjoy this. Okay. So I started looking at Oprah, you know, because she's a great role model, Jeez. you know, not just as a human being, but also as a catalyst, you know, also as an interviewer, as a journalist. She's, you know, she's done a phenomenal job. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So um, I'm curious, the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: In since the since the entrepreneurial space or so just, sure, in, in, just life in life as a whole, in life in general. Um, this may sound cliche, but it comes from both mom and dad. Um, again, my mother said to me before I left. She says, "Don't go out there trying to be someone else. Don't go out there and see bright lights and fancy glitter. Continue to remember where you come from, right?" and be the best version of yourself, which is now messaging that I use to my Mm -hmm. audience. Because in a world where everybody's trying to aspire to be like someone, talk like someone, think like someone, dress like someone, I think we need to have more role models that say, you are perfectly fine who you are, are. but what is the best version of yourself? That's what you should aspire to. So I I credit my mom for that. Um, And my dad, I I had already mentioned it. When it comes to career, It's like, baby, do whatever you are are passionate about doing. If you want to collect garbage, you know, figure out a way to own, you know, a collection of garbage trucks. And you do that passionately and you'd be the best at it. I I value that because when I left corporate, a very well-paid gig with all the benefits um, and essentially this, you know, idea of success, I left it for fitness. What I was doing is lifting heavy things. And I was like, well, I'm going to lift heavy things. I, I'm just going to be the best at it and see where it takes me. So I I, I I, love that advice from my father, too.
0: And so what advice would you give to someone, perhaps male, female, that's, that's not really relevant, mm-hmm. who's perhaps stuck in that corporate wheel? You know, they're feeling like they're unfulfilled. They're feeling like, you know, they're suffocating. They're having the moments where it's like, fuck, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. Yeah but they don't necessarily have 50,000 people on their Instagram account. They're sure. maybe not sure what it is that they want to do, but they know they want to be doing something greater than what they're doing right now. Great. What would be the best piece of advice you can give? That's a great some?
1: question. I think this way. Um, not everybody, like you said, has a bunch of followers. Yeah. Not everybody has um, or can quit on a whim. Um, not everybody has like, a, a bunch of money saved in their savings account. Um, but I tell people this all the time. Whatever moves you, right moves your heart and spirit whether or not it is knitting or or creating art whatever it is it might not bring in dollars straight away yeah but it is super important in this life in this time to give time and energy to that to that craft to that love and desire because it's only in in pursuing what it make uh, what makes us better people um, comes a, a new life from within i think when you feed yeah. what it is that you're passionate about, there's something that happens inside. And I think that if you, even if it's part-time, pursue something on that on that lane, mm. something always comes of it. So um, I tell people to give time and energy to what they love, because it's important for just total wellness and peace in your life.
0: So how do you, that kind of prompts a question that I, I forgot to ask you earlier how do you maintain balance in, in a world that is so busy with, you know, with the Instagram, the Facebooks, all the social media, all the things that you do, the boot camps, the travel and everything else? Like, do you think balance is a myth or do you think it's a matter of being able to prioritize the chaos in the moments that you're dealing with it?
1: Oh, I think a bit of both. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of friends that are kind of in the space that I'm in right. that have maybe four or five times more following than I do. Um, I've actually paid attention, that's one thing that I've, I've learned from a mentor of mine, to pay attention yeah. to others and how they move and, and that type of thing. And uh, so I look at, say, my colleagues, if you will, yeah. in the space, and I kid you not, I'd say maybe three out of five of them are moving um, in ridiculous speeds in business. Um, I have crazy expectations of them, um, have this image on social media that sadly is a complete, utter lie. I see it, right? Mm. Um, I have decided that I will not be that person. The minute that it does not serve me or I feel like I have to uh, create fake content or um, structure or curate an image of perfection, I think that I'm gonna find something else. how I find balance is keeping everything simple. Mm. Now, with that said, I do find that I need to probably put in play better structures, time management. But for me, I keep myself super grounded. Um, I'm sure I could be making a lot more money, I'm sure of it. Um, But what keeps my sanity and keeps me loving what I do Today, and I'm sure tomorrow, is to keep things as simple as possible and remember my key values. Family, f- good friends, um, and just continuing to create what is really a mere reflection of my true reality.
0: Yeah, right. You just said your values then. Like, when it comes to anything you do, is that something that you... You, you connect with before you make big decisions? How do uh, you make decisions? I'm curious. Oh,
1: uh, just, just based on something real. I yeah. mean, it's that simple. Um,
0: are you an instinct person? Like, are you someone that is very much guided by intuition and instincts?
1: I like, yes, very yeah. mu- now, these days, more yeah. so than back when. I mean, I definitely had my, um, you know, the, the situations you find yourself in when you realize a collaboration that you're kind of in the thick of is not a good look that you may be partnering or on set with somebody that has the complete opposite messaging than you. Um, and then yet, oh, we're gonna be on the same poster. Um, it, to me, that's really not a good look. Yeah. Uh, and again, I come from a place of non-judgment. Like Everybody has their thing. I yeah. place no judgment on what people wanna say, do. Um, but I, I definitely find myself, you know, not being, I mean, guided more so by my intuition now. Um, and there were just lessons learned. So when something doesn't feel right, um, I do a bunch of research. Um, uh, and if I find that I'm still not sitting right, I realize it's just not for me. And I realize also that when it's not for me, it's okay. Yeah. I don't want to ponder, like, oh, God, I really. Did you let find that it hard go. to
0: trust that at first? Yeah, of yeah. course.
1: Of course. Yeah. I, it, I think it's human to kind of, uh, you know, Second-guess things because you know you don't have the luxury of knowing what the next paycheck is coming from yeah. so much And so when you turn something down um, Based on something that just didn't feel right and you could sort of foresee it being like not the right decision like you could, damn, that you know that check would have been really good right about now, but I'm okay. i have learned to be okay I don't ponder on a decision. I made six months ago um, I'm a big believer in what is for me will yeah. be for me, yeah. um, and I also don't believe in this idea of like sheer competition. Like I'm going to create what I want to create, and what comes of that will, will essentially be for me. Yeah,
0: you right. know? And you've now got yourself. You've now in a, a new relationship. From what I can yes. see, it looks like a beautiful relationship. Yes. To you. <laughs> so how do you manage that? Like how do you manage the entrepreneurial side and you know the 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 the, the relationship Best side? Like how side. do you how do you bring those two together in in, in an environment like this?
1: Yeah, I, you know I think I got really lucky. My my guy, um, and his name is Guy. <laughs> right. So I say my guy, that's my guy. Um, He's been really understanding of, like, the space or the career that I'm in. Yeah, right. For somebody that—he also works a non-conventional job. He works in the film industry as a professional stuntman. So his schedule is bananas. Um, But it also allows him, when there's free time, to really be by my side and kind of, like, help me with a whole lot of things, which is something I'll never take for granted. Um, So in him being by my side when it comes to, um, you know, speaking on panels or— being at expos where I'm running camps in front of people, and like he, he gets it. Like, mm. um, and when we first met, he wasn't even on social media, so he didn't even. Yeah, wow. yeah I mean, I think when we met, I, I might have had close to four hundred thousand followers, and and so there's a you know a sense of of oh being someone doing something, but I I just told him that I you know I love fitness, I'm a trainer. Um, and so when he realized how I use social media and the impact that I have on on women, um, he kind of was taken back and said that he was super proud and wanted to learn more about how I moved in an entrepreneurial space in working with my for myself using social media. Um, and then once he kind of gauged that, he's now been a, an advocate and helping me. And he actually has more of a, a mindset, a brain mindset so he helps me. He's the one that helps me with a lot of things. Yeah, right. However, he's got his own career. Yeah. That takes him away and he has four beautiful sons. Oh wow. So he's a busy person. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So I try not to lean too heavily on him. Yeah. Um, but he's kinda like my only team.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. No, that's great. Yeah. (laughs) It's great that you've got that. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So I am curious, and I think this would be a great place for us to to move towards the finish, like you've done incredibly well on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your social following is fantastic. Your whole business is driven by social media. So if there was three pieces of advice that you'd give, you know, someone who is either getting into business or wanting to get into business, whether they're building a personal brand or, you know, just a business brand, like how, uh, what three pieces of advice would you give to someone that would help them understand how to use social media in an effective way, not in a distractive way, to help them build a, a brand and a business?
1: Another good question. I tell people this. In a t- especially in this space uh, that I'm in, in health and fitness, um, in 2018, um, unlike when I first started, I feel the health and fitness industry is overly saturated, mm. right? And I feel like anyone that has a couple abs and a nice butt will be at the gym, and then somebody will approach them and is like, "Oh, I want to get abs like you." I'm like, "Oh, I can train you." It is as simple as that. So it really like dilutes what a real professional, a real health and mm. fitness professional can you know, do to somebody versus how someone can really damage another. Um, I tell people this, it is super important to use social media as honestly as possible and to show something that essentially not everybody is showing, like everybody seems to have, um, in fitness anyways, doing the most craziest type of workouts, um, all for the gram. And so I tell people to be honest about their training, honest about the image that they show, be authentic because, as cliche again, as it sounds, no one will be you. So what about you can you show that no one else can? Mm. Um, And so I think that's where a real um, social media presence starts by having your own voice, your own image, um, and your own niche. Because my niche is, you know, speaking a positive um, message around body positivity and body body image and the thicker woman became my niche and I I have surrounded all my key messaging around that. Um, So now when they're looking for somebody, a female speaking up body body positivity, you know, I get a call which is amazing. So I tell people to find their niche and just honestly just stay true, stay true.
0: I don't think there's ever been a greater time in history for a a greater requirement for authenticity than there is now.
1: And that's kind of sad, right?
0: Well, I think it's it's both. I think it's sad, and I think it's beautiful at the same time. You know, I think we're true, yeah. we're living in a world of polar opposites right now, and the, you know, there's never been, for me, I think, a greater opportunity for us to wake up uh, and Very really true. see the balance that's in front of us. And well, I think that's that's the cool thing about social media is, in many ways, you know, it does create this level of comparison that, in some ways, can create de- you know, depression for some people or anxiety mm-hmm. for some people. But I think there's also these these field of influences that are now coming in. That I'd like to see myself a part of as well, include myself in that where we're actually showing the reality of life, you know being an influencer isn't about sunshine and lollipops every day you know thank there you. there is thunderstorms there is yeah. rain and every now and then there's a fucking cyclone and even an earthquake and i think that's what people relate to and you know i think what you're doing is an incredible example of that and I, to hear you echo that message yeah gives me gives me hope, <laughs> it gives me thank hope thank for you. the future thank because you. i th- honestly think that's one of the greatest things that you could do when it comes to marketing is show everything is show because that's what creates that relationship and that's what creates a ten- connection and that's what creates a trust and we, lead, we, will be, we will follow people that we trust and I think you're doing an incredible job of it.
1: I appreciate that. I know, Thank you, you got very it. much.
0: So if there's uh, one piece of advice that you'd like to leave the listeners with today, like what would it be? A piece of advice for life, love, oh. liberty, or even the gram. Like just one piece of advice that you feel compelled to share.
1: In this moment, what would it be? Don't fuck um, it up. Something, so <laughs> <laughs> I think something personal actually yeah. has happened to me. Um, nothing to do with fitness. Um, but in my personal life, I think um, I met my boyfriend kind of in my 30s and uh, for a long time I had this idea of what I wanted in a relationship or like what I deserved. And um, not that I was ever the woman that had a whole list of criteria, I I didn't move that way, but I had this idea. And in order to meet somebody um, or meet the person I'm with now, I really had to break down the expectation or that idea um, to really be able to open myself or be vulnerable to it, like a new idea. So I think what I like to do, especially to to women that might find themselves without or struggling to find uh, whether or not it's in an intimate relationship or maybe even a career, is to break down what hasn't been working, to be open and courageous enough um, to be vulnerable to see and build a new idea.
0: Mm, I love it, that's a great piece of advice. So where can we find out more about you? If people want to find out more about you, your boot camps, your retreats,
1: yeah, so, where so um, we go? Yeah, I, I mean, I live online on litalewis.com. <laughs> um, my international retreats lives on a separate domain as myfreedomretreat.com. Um, and along, or across social media, I should say, I'm follow the Lita.
0: Follow the Lita. Yes, that is good, I yes. do like that. Thanks it?
1: mom and dad, <laughs> yeah. it was like the role model thing.
0: Yeah right, fantastic. Lita I gotta tell you, like your story is one of inspiration and I'm so glad to have you here and I'm so glad that we got to hear your message and yeah, that you shared your story so vulnerably. Thank you so much for coming in.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure, thank you very much. <laughs> thank
0: you. There you have it guys, thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray and do me a favor don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes we'd love to hear what you think I love reading what you guys have to say and your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this if you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements please jump onto the website kerwinray.com and also check us out on social media at Kerwin Ray